It is time for another encounter with the truth. We are nearing the completion of our studies in an Old Testament book that many of you have never looked at carefully. It is the masterpiece of the prophet Moses, the culmination of the Pentateuch. The reason why rabbis across the country are upset that young Jews in unprecedented numbers are concluding that the first century Joshua born in Galilee and crucified and raised in Jerusalem is their Messiah. They are not giving up their Jewish roots, but they are discovering God's gift. Moses predicted these days would come. Now let's join our study leader, Dave Wurtzen, as we turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30 for part two of Decision Time. You see, my faith in Christ, my relationship with Christ, is not something that I conjure up. It's something that He conjures up in me. It's not something that I work to create. It's a miracle of grace that He does and He performs in my own heart. And that's what Moses was telling the Israelites in this new covenant time, which I believe is still future for Israel. Because right now I don't think Israel as a nation, the majority of Jewish people don't have this heart that responds to the Savior. But I believe that one day the majority of them will. It's a great hope of the Scripture. And I think what's going to happen is there's going to be a gift, a miracle, where God circumcises their heart. He cuts away the dead tissue, the hardness, and he sets them free. Have you ever been talking to an unbeliever and you're sharing the good news of Christ with them and you're trying to get things across to them and nothing's happening? You ever feel that way? And, and, and you feel so discouraged. Anybody ever get discouraged when you're trying to explain to someone that all they need to do to receive Christ is to believe he died for them and he rose again and, and you just get nothing? Anybody have that experience? Has, do any of you begin to feel, well, I guess I'm just not doing it right? Anybody ever feel that? And do you ever get discouraged and say, well, I guess I'm not doing it right, so I guess I shouldn't do it? Don't feel that way. Because what has to happen is that God, the almighty, omnipotent God, has to work in a heart. And I want you to know that he'll do that. And you can rest, you can be at peace, you can be confident, because God will work as you present the good news in his time. In his plans and purposes, he will give gifts. And it's a tremendous thrill when you realize that it's not something that I conjure up, and it's not something that I work to produce. God has to circumcise a heart. And when God circumcises a heart, tremendous changes take place. As Moses goes on and says, he says, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, and then what will happen? Then you will love him. You see, a circumcised heart becomes a heart that begins to love God, that wants to express their intimacy with God. And that's the essence of this relationship. You'll love God with how much of your heart? With all your heart, with all your soul. I want all the children to understand that's really what our relationship in this church with Jesus Christ is about. It's not about being in a cultural church or, or joining a church or being part of a religious thing. I want all of you adults to realize that. The essence of the biblical faith is not another area of your life. It's not, I have my school area, I have my work area, then I have my religious area, and I take care of that on Sunday morning. God wants your heart every single second of every day. 
He wants you to get up in the morning and he wants you to begin to start to talk to him and say, Lord, I love you today. It's going to be great to be able to spend another day with you. When you're in the shower, he wants you to be thinking, and maybe you can sing with the water coming down on you, Jesus, I love you. And then as you go through the day, when problems come up, he says, man, I'm right here with you. And you can talk to him about it. It's that living relationship with God. When you go to do something wrong, there's that tremendous tug in your heart, that tremendous pull of the Spirit, and the Spirit says, man, you better watch that one. Lean upon me. Let me help you. And it's that every single moment, when you go to bed at night, that tremendous peace of being able to say, Lord, I love you tonight. The tremendous honesty of being able to say, Lord, I think my heart's getting cold. My heart's getting cold towards those that I love. The, the words of life are snuffing out my desire to love. Lord, circumcise my heart anew. Living like that, carrying on a conversation like that, that is what God wants from you. He doesn't want you just to check in with him on a Sunday morning. That's not what it means to love him. It's like when some of the young people fall in love and, and, and they got that tremendous rush of wanting to be with somebody and, 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 and they're in love and they want to spend all the time and, and their mind just constantly goes back to thinking about them, about their object of their love. That's what God wants. He wants you to have that kind of passion for him. That's what this Christian biblical thing is about. That's what Moses is talking about. God circumcised your heart and enabled you to fall in love. I want you to pray for me. You see, being related to the Lord is just like, just like your marriage relationship. How many of you have ups and downs in your marriage? Anybody want to confess to that? Mary, will you confess to that? Mary says yes, okay. How many of you find it in your marriage relationship that you just have the same fervency constantly? It's just like the night you got engaged. The fires of intimacy are right there, right? Isn't that the way it is every single moment of every day? No, it goes what? It goes up and down. So does your relationship with the Lord. In fact, you know what? Your relationship in your marriage is related to your relationship with the Lord. Because as you let the Lord circumcise your heart and make your heart tender again, and not get callous by, by just living with the worries and concerns and stresses of every day. When you open your heart to love, that begins to open your heart to the love for your wife, for your husband, for your kids, for your friends. He makes you a lover. And it comes from that flow of intimacy with himself. That's what Moses is talking about. It's an every day, God wants all of your soul. And only God can do that. We need to open our heart to receive that gift. It says then, if you, as you do that in verse 7, when you receive the blessing and you love God and he becomes your life, then the Lord begins to protect you from your enemies. The curses that come from disobeying him go against your enemies. You will again obey the Lord and follow all of his commandments that I am giving you. And I want you to see the connection between loving God with all your heart, having your heart circumcised to begin that process, it yields obedience. One of the things that I want to stress is all the way through the book of Deuteronomy, we've been working on the connection between loving God and having faith in God and ethical obedience that it generates. And that connection in a lot of American Christianity has been cut. And that's very unbiblical. A real circumcised heart is not just singing praise choruses on Sunday morning, it's making the right decision ethically in the business office on Monday morning. 
That's what Moses wants us to understand. When you have your heart circumcised and you love God with all your heart, it produces obedience. Jesus said it in the New Covenant, if you love me, you will obey me. They're always interconnected. Love comes first. Your belief in him comes first. But that belief and that love produces very real ethical moral changes that impact your life. Then in verse 9, the Lord your God will make you the most prosperous in all of your work, your hands, and the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and will make you prosperous, just as he delighted in your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commandments and decrees that are written in this book of the law, and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now we come to the crunch sign. Somebody raised their hand and says, Moses, this is too hard. I don't understand it. I don't get it. So Moses concludes his whole message to Israel like this. It's not that hard. How many of you kids have ever had a teacher say, this really isn't that hard? Anybody ever had that? That's what Moses is going to say. Look what he says in the next verse. Now what I'm commanding you today is not really that hard. Now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. I want all of you to listen. There's a big fake-out that takes place in your life spiritually. If you go to the university campus, you can spend hours on this thing. The basic idea is nobody really knows for sure how to live. Nobody knows for sure what belief in God is. is. Nobody knows for sure exactly what's right, exactly what's wrong. And you can spend hours and hours and hours trying to figure out what is right. You know what Moses tells you? He says, that is a bunch of baloney. You say, well, Dave, I can't know the way I need to live my life. There's so many different options to choose from. If I could get in a rocket ship down there in Cape Kennedy, if I could be blasted to the farthest point of space, if I could get out into the infinite edge of the universe, if I could only be a scientist that could figure everything that's out there, then, then I would be able to make the decision that I need to make about God and about right and about wrong. I read in Time Magazine this week, it was a quote from Einstein. Einstein was talking about death, and he basically wrote to a, a girl that wrote him about death. He said basically this, we all are afraid of death, and nobody knows what's going to happen to us when we die, and there's nothing we can do about our fear of death, but it is a good biological um, happening in our life because it protects us and it keeps us from drowning, for example, just cutting ourselves or knifing ourselves. Because we're afraid of death, we have a good biological fear that keeps the human race going and keeps it reproducing, and no one knows what's going to happen. That was the word from one of America's most brilliant scientists. Now, that's not going to help me much, because that's not really what I worry about. It doesn't really help me to say, well, the reason I'm so afraid about dying is because, God, because the natural forces of selection have put that inside of me so that I won't just go out and kill myself. That doesn't help my personal needs. I want to know what happens to me when I die. What happens to my personality? Where did my personality come from in the first place? You know, what about, you know, who was taking care of me besides my parents? You know, who gave me that breath of life during those first two years when I don't remember anything? Why is it that when I sit in the hospital room and someone's getting ready to pass into eternity, why is it that I just can't say, well, they're just an animal, put them in the ground, that'll be it? 
Why did someone that say that, why do I feel like punching somebody right in the nose that comes up with that kind of baloney at a time like that? You know what Moses is saying? Moses is saying, listen, you don't have to go to the farthest reaches of heaven to find out the answer to spiritual questions. He says something else. You know what? You don't have to take a journey to the farthest seas. He says, nor is it beyond the sea, in verse 13, so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it, to proclaim to us so that we may obey it? You know what Moses is saying? You see, in ancient Israel, they were acquainted with a whole legend. It was called the Gilgamesh Epic. And Utnapishtun, what a name. Boy, you want a name? We'll name a new boy after that. Utnapishtun went on a journey across the sea. It's kind of like uh, the Odyssey and the travels in, in the Greek literature as well. It's the same kind of deal. And Utnapishtun is trying to go out in the Gilgamesh epic to find out the secret to life. And he believes that if he can find the man that made it through the flood, that man will have the secret to life. And so in Mesopotamian thinking, the idea, the idea was if you could travel, and by the way, this is one of the, one of the powerful forces behind wanderlust, if you can just travel to the right place, maybe you can find the answer to the secret of life. And you can be on that quest. You can be in the university. You can be trying to read all the books you can, and you can be sailing in the journeys of your mind, trying to somehow get it all together. Now, Moses is saying this. You don't have to be like Utnapishtun in the, in the Gilgamesh epic. You don't have to go across the sea, which, by the way, to an Israelite was the worst thing you can imagine because they hated the sea. You don't have to go to NASA and be blasted into outer space. Every one of you can have the answer to the secret of life, to know what life is. And you don't have to go to the farthest heavens, and you don't have to go across the sea. You say, Dave, where do I have to go? It tells us right here. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you may have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart so that you may obey it. You say, Dave, what is Moses saying? Moses tells the Israelites, and I'm telling you today, if you reject the truth of God, if you reject the reality of God, you're not going to reject it because you haven't been able to travel to outer space somewhere. That's not why you're going to reject it. It's not going to be because you didn't get some ultimate intellectual answer. I'm going to tell you why you're going to reject God. You're going to reject him because you choose to reject his inner witness deep in your heart that's closer than your own heartbeat. Because if you'll open your heart to the truth, even as I'm talking to you, if you open your heart and say, God, if you're there, you can just start out. You don't even have to begin with Jesus Christ. You can just start out with, I think there might be some ultimate transcendental being that's out there. If you'll just open your heart and say, if there's something out there, I want my heart to receive it. Then deep in your soul, God will start to speak to your heart and he'll pull you towards where you need to go. And I'm going to tell you what's going to make you reject him because you want to do what you want to do. You see, I've, I've worked with people, you know, like worked with a guy like, you know, that was a real intellectual and I, I tried to get philosophical arguments and I answer this question, I answer that question, I answer that question, answer that question. I get all done answering all the questions and he still doesn't want to receive Christ. And about two years later I find out that he'd been sleeping with his girlfriend and he really liked sleeping with two or three different girlfriends. He didn't want to settle down with one and get married. 
Well, we never talked about that. We never talked about morality. We talked about all these intellectual questions. What was wrong with the guy? It wasn't the intellectual questions that needed to be answered. He wanted to do what his stubborn heart wanted to do. And that's why he didn't want to respond to God. I remember even as a little tiny kid, when Jesus started talking to my heart about the need for me to trust him, I knew what was going on. So do you. As I talk to you, you know what's going on. Teenager that sits there, if you're hardened, you're not responding and you're rebelling against your parents, you know what's going on. Deep in your soul, you can feel it. Man, I know I need to love God. I know I need to respond to him. I know I need to believe in him. And then you can come up with all this baloney. Oh, I don't think we have all the answers, and I don't think that we have enough information yet. And God says through Moses, forget it. The answer to the secret of life is deep in your own heart. And if you don't respond to the biblical revelation, it's because you choose to do what you want to do. You don't want to love God with all your heart. You want to love yourself. That's the truth. And I know it's the truth in my own heart. Because when I let the Lord circumcise my heart, when I let him cut away the callousness and the hardness, when I let him let the light blood of spiritual vitality begin to flow into me again, when I respond, then he teaches me. And when I don't listen, it's not because it's too hard, it's not because it's too far, it's because I just don't want him to have that kind of a handle on my life. And oh, I thank the Lord for Moses that just told the truth about my heart and about your heart. He says, you don't have to go the farthest heavens. You don't have to go across the sea. Just look inside your own heart. And as you hear, as the, as you hear the revelation of God's word, that word is on your tongue, it's on your heart, and you'll decide and it's closer than your heartbeat, what you're going to do with it. Verse 15, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to keep his commandments, decrees and laws, and then you will live and increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, if you are drawn away to bow down and to other gods and to worship then, I declare to you this day, that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now, and you can just hear the patch of his heart, now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The question I've been asking myself all week as I've been studying this passage is, Dave, what is your life? When I ask you to be close, what is your life? What did you get up in the morning to do today? What is your life? Huh? Every one of you need to answer that question. What is my life? What is my life? You know, as a little tiny kid, my life was looking forward to a Christmas present. In junior high school, my life started to be, what is my life? I am a football player. I am a quarterback. That's my life. 
In eighth grade, if we can beat the Catholic school across the town and we can be the champions, that's my life. That's what I got up in the morning to do. That's what I spent hours during the day to do. Man, I threw football to tower at tires, swinging in trees till my arm was ready to fall off. And now I've got bursitis in it. It hurts me so bad. That was my life. In high school, that carried off, you know, that carried into high school. You know, my life is being a good athlete. That is my life. I've often shared with you, in college it changed gears. You know, I played football a couple years, and then I found out who, nobody cares about these eggheads that get clobbered every Saturday afternoon, and I realized that the people that were really in were the ones that got good grades, the one that could say, I am intelligent, I have a 3.9 or a 3.8 or just about a 4.0, and I realized, man, this is my life, and I would just pour myself into that. Then you graduate from college and you begin to say, what is my life? Some of you are in early careers and you're getting started in your job and you're just getting going your business. And I say, what is your life? If you analyze your life today, it is to get going in this career. It's to be successful. It's, it's to be able to do your thing. Now some of you have gone through all that and now you're older and you're looking around and some of you are in midlife and you're saying, man, I think I need to start all over again because, because all of these things that I thought I was going to live for, they're just not really working out so well. I think I need to start again and try it all again. So you're answering the question, this is my life. And it can be all kinds of things. I mean, Kim Lewis jumps off bungee cords and everything else trying to find out what life is. Seriously, I want to ask you, what is your life this morning? That was Moses' challenge. He's saying, he's saying to Dave, he says to Dave, what is your life? Now all the way through, while I was loving football and while I was loving academics and while I was going for success, all along, the Lord was working my life. Way when I was a little kid, all the way through high school, all the way through college, and all the way through my adulthood. And there was another side of me where the Lord was saying, Dave, I am your life. I want you to stop and think today what it means. God says, I am your life. It's such a simple statement. What is life? And I answered it. Football, academics, you can answer it. Money, cars, racing, you know, skiing, traveling, having a love relationship, you know, with the opposite sex. You know, you can go on and on and on and on and on. All the answers you get. And Moses challenges his people, what is your life? And then Moses gives us the only answer that's going to last. God says, I am your life. Not church, not religion. God says, I am your life. I want you to look at one more passage in closing because the New Testament, turn to Romans 10, because the New Testament brings this all together. And in Romans chapter 10, we've got an incredible statement in Romans chapter 10, verse 5. Moses described it in this way. Romans chapter 10, verse 5. The righteousness that is by the law reads like this. The man who does these things will live by them. That's a quote from Leviticus. If you want to be righteous by obeying the law, then what you have to do is just in your own strength, you try to obey. And Deuteronomy chapter 30 already showed us that the ancient Israelites weren't able to obey, so either are we. He goes on to verse 6 and says, but the righteousness that is by faith says this. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven. Remember I said, Moses said, you don't have to ascend into heaven, but I want to tell you something. There is someone who has ascended to the highest heaven. There is someone who's been as far as you can go in the universe. He's been right at the edge 
of the time-space continuum. He's been right at the end of any modern scientific theory you can ever think of or conjure up. Jesus has been to the ultimate heaven. He's been there. So you don't have to go there yourself. And you're not going to be able to go there unless you trust one who's been there. What Paul is saying is you don't have to go to the ultimate heaven because that is to bring Christ down. He's saying Christ has already come down from there. So you don't have to try to go off somewhere. Christ has already come down to you. Second of all, or who will ascend into the deep, out to the deepest part of the ocean? Paul changes the metaphor. Instead of going across the sea, he talks about going down to the deepest sea. And the deepest sea for an Israelite was to go all the way into death. In fact, some people will say, well, the only way you'll ever know is if to die. You know, when we die, the split second we'll die, then we'll know what we should have believed. That's going to be too late. And what Paul is saying is you don't have to descend into the depths of death because what? Christ has already done that. It says that is to bring Christ up from the dead. You see, Christ has already risen from the dead. He's already died. He knows what's there. He's risen from the dead. So you don't, have to, you don't have to wait until you experience that. He says, but what did it say? The word is near you. Remember what I told you? You reject Christ. It's not going to be because you couldn't go to the ultimate heaven. It's not because you couldn't have a near-death experience. If you reject Christ, it's going to be because you reject the word that's near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. It's the word of faith that we're proclaiming to you. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is, it, it is with the heart, it's with our internal personality that we believe and we're justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and you're saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Notice, Jew and Gentile are alike. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call upon him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know what Paul said? He said, ultimately, Paul's putting the whole thrust of Deuteronomy 30 into the modern context. And he says, what is your life? And in the Old Testament, they answered, my life is Yahweh. It is the worship of God. In the New Testament, Paul says that God the one who lives beyond the heavens has come to this earth. He's saying that God came to this earth and he already experienced death for us and he rose again. And he says all you need to do to receive life is to believe in him. Moses was gathered with the children of Israel in the plains of Moab. And you know what Moses did? He was a preacher. He went down before the people. He says, you've got to decide what your life is. Moses was challenging the children of Israel to renew their commitment the statement, the Lord is going to be my life. You have been listening to Truth Encounter and the ministry of Dr. Dave Wurtson. As Dave brings our exposure to Deuteronomy chapter 30 to a close, today he raised an important question we should all ask. Who or what is my life? Jesus Christ wants to become your life. And as Dave expressed, he is the only superhero who can take you to his father's house safely.